0: You are now listening to the Santos Church Podcast. My name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at Santos Church, and I just want to thank you for tuning in. If you'd like to get connected or get involved with what we have going on here in Southwest Detroit, stay tuned to the end of this episode for more information. But for now, let's get to it. All right. Welcome to the Santos Church Podcast. Today, we are jumping in to the first week, the first episode of four of a series that we just wrapped at the church that we called Beautiful Church. And if you were there, if you were in the house at all for the month of September, then you know that this really was just like a powerful series for us. And because of that, we wanted to make sure that we went back and recorded all of it, that we had it laid down Put on wax permanent so that way you could access it, we could access it, and we could use it as a refresher or a touch point going forward uh, because we really feel like this is foundational in the life of the church as a young church. We're going into our fourth year here soon, praise God. And we really feel like this uh, this series really gets to the heart of and upholds a lot of the values that we want to value as well and prioritize going forward as a church. And so the the whole idea of this series was that we wanted to choose four sacraments. Sacraments, as we will talk about for, for the next four episodes, um, sacraments are sacred practices of the church that when they are are done or when they are participated in, they communicate a greater spiritual reality. And so we'll say that several times throughout the next four episodes because it's really a big part of this entire series, but we wanted to pick four of those. So depending on what tradition you come from or expression of Christianity you come from, there's more than four, but we wanted to really just hone in and focus on four um, to to just drop an anchor in, to really examine um, and to look at and, and how we could apply those. And so we wanted to look at how, if we wanted to unpack how each one of those four sacraments work in our lives, and how, when they are applied to our lives, knit us together deeper with the family of believers across really both time and space, not just here and now in 2023, but reaching all the way back to the first church, to I mean, to Jesus himself. And so um, the goal of this series is to show us how using some of the church's traditions, i.e. sacraments, can help us as individuals develop a deeper, richer faith. And when we bring that as individuals into community, it creates a more beautiful church. So there you go. There's kind of the the synopsis, the idea, the heart of the series. And so let's jump in. Week one. Here we go. So uh, if you've heard of C.S. Lewis, the literary genius, then you have surely heard of his series of works called the Chronicles of Narnia. The last book in that series is called the Last Battle. And there's a uh, character in that book who is a unicorn. And which, if you know anything about the series, then that shouldn't shock you or surprise you. He's a unicorn, and his name was Jewel. And I love this quote, um, as it all is kind of like coming to an end, and it's coming to a resolution and a resolve at the end. And you know, now they're reaching this like eternal kingdom and all of that. This this quote comes from the last battle, stepping into that eternal kingdom. Jewel the unicorn says this: "I have come home at last." This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for my whole life, although I never knew it until now. So come further up and come further in. These words, further up and further in, would go on to be coined by C.S. Lewis to express what he thought was the goal of life for every human and certainly, specifically, the goal of life for every believer, and that was to achieve union and deeper union with God himself to be called further up into God's presence and further in to union with God. The entirety of an individual's faith, as well as the corporate life of a faith community, a church community, can be expressed, I believe, in those four words. The goal is this, further up, further in. So for this series, Beautiful Church, we're talking about four sacraments which are held by the church all the way from the earliest days of the church, sacraments uh, that when they are practiced They show us a greater spiritual reality. Now, sacraments are helped to pull us further up, if you will, like C.S. Lewis said, sacraments are meant to help pull us further up and further in. So today, week one, what we are talking about is communion, communion. It is often referred to as the great tradition. Jesus himself handed down communion, depending on what expression of faith you've come from or tradition of faith you've come from. You may have called this Eucharist. You may have called this the Lord's Supper uh, because it was instituted by Christ at the Last Supper with his disciples. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's transformative. It's a moment where we see Jesus take the bread and the wine. He blesses it and he gives it as the elements that are to be used by us to draw us into union with him and his sacrifice for us. So if you spent any time at all going to mass or service, growing up in our neighborhood here in Southwest Detroit. We have a lot of uh, Catholic church presence, a lot of big, beautiful uh, cathedrals and Catholic churches around. And um, man, it's it's gorgeous. It's great. You can feel kind of like just the, the synergy amongst them on a Sunday morning. You can hear a lot of different church bells ringing from a lot of different uh, corners of the neighborhood. And it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Um, but if you've been to any kind of Mass or service growing up, or at any point in time, then you have probably experienced this sacrament. Maybe you didn't know it was called a sacrament. Maybe you didn't know the purpose of it fully, but this is a sacrament. Like I said, it could be called communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, but um, you may have seen it. It, like expressed differently as well. You may have seen it where uh, the priest or the father, the pastor gives the communion, administers the communion, right? Takes the bread and serves it to a parishioner, or serves it to the church members. You may have done it with what I call the communion to go cups, where it's got the little teeny tiny, like cup, right? And it's got a little bit of grape juice in it. It's got a little, you know, cracker up top. You'll be lucky if it's not stale. You know what I'm saying? And um, you may have taken it like that right? You may have been told that it is uh, the literal body of Jesus Christ. This is a theological term referred to as transubstantiation. And you may have been told on the other end of the spectrum of Christian practice and theology in the church, some have taught it to where it is just a symbol, right? But today, what I want to focus on is not so much the method that it's practiced in, right? I don't want to zoom in on, well, you know, do, do you go to a mass and does a priest administer the elements to you? Or do you go to a Baptist church and you do the, you know, to go communion cup, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to focus on that. What I want to dig into is the sacramental reality behind it. Or in other words, I want to dig into the spiritual reality that it communicates and that it conveys. And what I want to impress upon us and uphold to us is this, that it's beautiful, that it's mysterious And something happens as we look and we will examine. It has always been the belief of the church and of of believers of Jesus Christ that something powerful and special takes place when we partake in this sacrament, when we partake in the elements of communion. And so if you are following along in your scripture you want to make a little highlight uh, so you can go back to this, if you're listening, you know, depending on where you're at, you may not have a Bible by you, but... If you want to go back, um, we're going to be looking at, first scripture passage we're looking at is John chapter six. And then after that, we'll look at Mark chapter 14. And so John chapter six, let me just read this to you like this. This is Jesus's own words. And he says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread of heaven, however, will not die because I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. They said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, (laughs) I love that. They're like, how how does this make sense? How can Jesus literally give us his body to eat? In verse 53 says this, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day for my flesh is the true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I and him. I live because the father who sent me. And in the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but instead they will live forever. So Jesus talking to uh, Jews in context, right? Talking to Jews, the culture, culture of the moment and, and of his context was Jewish, right? And so he's talking to them and he would know that in context, they know very well the story of the Exodus and how the, the people of Israel survived off of manna that God provided for them. But, but he would also know that they knew that it's temporary, right? Manna, when God sent it down, um, it was, it was temporary. They could only have it for that day, and then they had to throw it out, and they had to re-up the next day, right? And so Jesus talking to them is pulling a contrast from that. He's saying, yes, God supplied the manna, but that was, that was temporary sustenance, right? Whoever partakes of me, I am eternal manna. In other words, I am the eternal bread. I am the bread of life. And whoever partakes of this bread, which is my body, And this cup, which is my blood, now is brought into not temporary, but eternal life, eternal sustenance. That's powerful, right? Mark 14, 22 through 24 says this, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples. And he said this, as he passed out the bread, take it for this is my body. Verse 23, and then he took a cup of wine, and he gave thanks to God for it. That's an important moment, right? He blessed the cup, He gave thanks to God for it, and then he, then he gave it to them, and they drank it, and he said to them, this is my blood, which confirms the, the covenant between God and his people it's poured out as a sacrifice for many. And so when we're looking at this, there's a lot of conversations that, you can, be, that can be had around this, right? There's a, there's a lot of different uh, ways to look at it. There's a lot of ways that people have interpreted this, right? But I would just move to say this. A, a lot of um, really accessible and applicable and practical theology can be done when we, when we just read things straight up, right? And a lot of people advocate for this. A lot of people advocate for just reading things at the word. And we want the Bible to be super literal, right? And the uncomfortable thing though is that we say that until it says something that literally makes us uncomfortable, right? And then we start to change it and say, no, nah, I didn't mean that. No, it's not, you know, no, nah, that means something else. And really, if you study all that, then it, it means it, right? But if if we're just putting all of these things together, this overall teaching, really, and tradition that would be grabbed onto by the early church and the church fathers and be taught and be passed down in the church. It's that Jesus was saying, my body and my blood, you draw into this, you partake of this, and now you have eternal life. And then Jesus, again, sitting with his disciples at the last supper saying, take this bread because it's my body, take this cup because it's my blood and it's poured out as a sacrifice for many. We can start to see how there's this heightened emphasis, even from Jesus himself around this Eucharistic moment, right the sacramental moment of taking communion. We can already just see plainly and make the case, that this is a heightened level of emphasis and power and teaching, even coming from Jesus himself. First Corinthians chapter 10 verses 16 through 17 say this. When he blessed the, or when we blessed the cup at the Lord's table, remember Jesus that we just read in Mark chapter 14, Jesus blessed the cup. He took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He blessed it. Then he gave it to them. So Paul's teaching here to the Corinthians and he says this, when we essentially echo Christ and we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing now in the blood of Christ? So there's, Paul Paul is saying that when, when we make this, this, this spiritual, like there's a spiritual exchange. There's a spiritual reality that comes to pass once we invite God into these elements and into this moment. When Jesus blessed the cup, then he gave the cup. And when we bless the cup in the same way, now aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we now sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing this that we are of one body. There's a sacramental like reality, right? This is why these are called sacraments because there's mechanisms that convey this supernatural thing that's happening, right? You got the the cup, you got the bread. You got the blessing that happens, right? And these are the, the, the mechanisms. These are the, the things that, that, you know, that, that the change and that the supernatural, uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever happens there, the magic that happens there. Those are the, the mechanisms. Those are the elements that help convey those things. But ultimately, there's a greater spiritual reality right? And a lot of times we want to break this down to just theology or just ideology or just thinking about how cool these things are, or even just stopping and going, wow, Paul is relating this to the teaching of Jesus. And wow, this is what Paul's doing. And we start to get wrapped up in all of like the schematics of it. This is what Paul's doing here. This is what Paul's saying here. But we can't, we don't want to miss the deeper truth here that What they're all communicating is that there is a spiritual reality that happens in this moment. That's why the church handed it down as a sacrament, because it communicated when we partake in it, it communicates a reality, a spiritual reality that actually takes place when these things happen. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29 says this, So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against, what, the cup and the bread? No. It says, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Look at Paul making that parallel right now. Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup, bread and cup, Unworthily is guilty of sinning against, not the bread and cup now, but is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. Verse 28 That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is powerful. Now I don't know if you're you're like me, but a lot of my experience in church was, I mean, and and not even a lot of it, all of it, you know, the 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 singular belief really behind, whenever we would take communion in churches that I found myself in, or maybe I went to youth group at, or as a young adult I was in, or even that my wife and I kind of came up in in ministry, the the singular teaching, whether it was said explicitly or it was just implied, is that this is just, the, and I'm going to use a word that might be a little touchy depending on where you fall theologically, but is that, is that this is just a symbol, right? And there was no mention, and I'm trying to be honest here, but like there, there was, I'll say hardly ever, right? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but I mean, as much as I can remember, it was hardly ever if not ever mentioned that there was a spiritual reality. It was it was only spoken of as a memorial or as a symbol because Jesus took the bread and took the cup. So we take the bread and we take the cup just to echo after him in posture, right? So as a symbol, it was a way that we memorialize what he did for us. But really when we look deeper at it, and and these are just a handful of scriptures, you can see this echoed even throughout like, uh, uh, Israel's journey through Egypt and and the Passover and and pr- preparing the Passover lamb and all and the meal that they had to take then. If you really dig into this, I mean, to me it, it starts to become as we really look at this. If we want to be honest, spiritually honest about where this is pointing, I feel like it, it, there's a very 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 strong overwhelming case for the fact that there's something much more happening here than just a symbol, than just a memorial. That if we really look at it and we wanna take scripture at its word, we wanna take Paul at his word, we wanna take our Lord Jesus at his word, there is something powerful and real that happens and supernatural and and beautiful and mysterious that happens in this moment. There's a heightened level of presence around this moment to where it's not just a flippant thing. If you're just memorializing or it's just a symbol, how can you violate just a symbol? You could disrespect it, but but how does that welcome judgment? How does that bring these, these deeper things onto you, right? If If by Paul's word, if by doing these things without examining yourself first, you are sinning against the very body and blood of Christ because in that moment, supernaturally, The body and blood of Christ become more present. And the emphasis is clear that it is, that that Jesus is more present in these moments than at other times in our liturgy or in our services or in our practices, right? This is why, and if you read all through the book of Acts, this is why this sacrament was upheld so dogmatically, you know, I don't know, that's the only word that comes to mind, because It was believed that Jesus's presence is accentuated and elevated and more focused and more potent in the moment of communion or Eucharist or Lord's Supper. That's why throughout the book of Acts, it says, then they gathered together for meals and they took the Lord's Supper together. They would be in houses and they'd be fellowshipping and praying with each other and eating meals and doing all these things. But then they would always make time to emphasize taking communion together because they didn't want to have communion with each other and spend time with each other without also spending time with the presence of Jesus himself. It's powerful. And so what I want to give you is this. I don't want you to feel pressured to take away a theological standpoint. But what I do want you to take away from this is that no matter where you stand at with this, I want to make the case for this simply, is that communion is holy, that it is sacred, that it is special, that no matter how you look at it, I think it's only hurtful to look at something so powerful and highly regarded and elevated in scripture by our Lord and by his disciples. It's, it's, it can be harmful, honestly harmful, to only look at it like it's a symbol. And if pastors are honest about this, me, myself included, I can tell you how this can be harmful. When I looked at this as only a symbol, I would neglect to elevate it or value it. It's easy if you look at it as just a symbol or just as going through the motions or just a memorial. Well, we're here to worship, to, to, to honor Jesus. We're here to preach the word and the word is supposed to honor Jesus. And so we're doing all these other things. And if communion just becomes another, another thing on the list of things that we can do to honor Jesus, well, then it's easy to throw it to the side or to neglect it right? And for me, just honestly, it's looked like, you know, we'll plan communion on a Sunday and then the, sur- the, 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 the service will run long or the message will run long. And now we got to, you know, we got to be out in 10 minutes because people are starting to get restless. And so, okay, we'll just push communion back to next month, right? We'll push it back a few and, and now we're devaluing it and it becomes harmful to something that is so sacred and special and beautiful, when the scriptures clearly agree, and if you really went back, and, and I don't want to be super exhausted here, exhaustive here, um, but, but there is study that can be done when you really go back and look at the scriptures, but then you also look at the teachings of the early church and the early church, church fathers. It is the general consensus amongst every single one of them for over a thousand years, that there is something supernatural and powerful and beautiful about partaking in communion. We have to learn how to silence our need. We have this like Western um, cultural need to have answers for everything. We want things to be clearly labeled and clearly defined and marked and, and, you know, we're able to organize them and categorize them and put them in different boxes. And here's the thing is that that becomes such a, a thing that we are bought into as a people that we even like our theology and the God of our personal theologies to be able to fit into the same things. We want to be able to define God. We want to be able to have theological terminology to be able to peg God down and be able to explain the deepest spiritual things about a supernatural and an an altogether inexhaustible God. He makes himself known to us. Yes, absolutely. But I would say the goal is to not be able to define God fully, but it's to be able to spend time more fully in God's presence. And I would also argue that the desire to know, to to be able to define and nail down God more completely actually works against our hunger and our thirst to just dwell in God's presence more fully to be able to be okay with the mystery, to be able to be okay to say, I don't know how this works, but I believe that it works. I don't know how it happens, but I believe that something is happening. When we can get to that place of awe and reverence and wonder with God, I believe that we will restore and rediscover some of our desire and hunger to just spend time being awestruck by him. We'll find ourselves in less arguments. We'll find ourselves uh, with our feelings less hurt because we won't feel the need to defend a theological position on things. But instead, we'll know more fully the God that defends us and calls us into deeper unity and unison with him. I wrote this in my notes. The more that we move towards needing certainty, to feel better about every aspect of our faith, the less we allow room for wonder and beauty to speak to us. We can be certain that Jesus did in fact die for us. We can be certain that he did in fact hand down the Lord's Supper, the communion, Eucharist as a sacramental practice for us in faith communities. He handed it down in community and those communities handed it down To more community. So we can be sure that he, in fact, did do this, that he, in fact, did die, that he did, in fact, give the cup and the bread for us to not just memorialize him, but to partake and to draw into unity and unison with him and then with each other as we take it together. But within the act of partaking, we should be able to leave some room for the miraculous to still occur, for the mysterious to still happen and for the beautiful to still capture our hearts. So just some final thoughts around communion is this, is that communion is sacred and it's a sacrament which unites us with Christ. When you partake of communion, the early church teaching and even what we just looked at in scripture, when we partake in communion, it is the sacrament which sacrament, which unites us with Christ we partake in his suffering through his body and blood, and we get drawn more further up and further in to Jesus Christ. If the life of a believer and the life of the church exists to grasp and to grow in union with Jesus, then communion is the chief and perpetual vehicle in which that happens. I'll say that again. If the life of a believer and the church, so as individuals and collectively, If we exist to grasp and to grow into deeper union with Jesus Christ, then communion is the chief, the first, but also the perpetual. So it's the first and it's ongoing, the vehicle, the mechanism by which that happens, that when we partake in it, we are drawn and we grow in further union with Jesus Christ. From the beginning and all the way throughout the life of a believer, we continue to partake in communion in this sacrament because it continues to draw us deeper and deeper into the life of Jesus. By partaking of the elements in communion, we are drawn further up and further in to the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. So if you're listening to this, the goal is not for you to end this episode or turn this podcast off and to, to go, okay, well, I believe this is 100% the way or that is 100% the way. That, that's not the goal of this content today. The goal of this is to just restore our willingness to believe in a supernatural God who is able to do supernatural things. I don't think that we lose anything And I don't think that it's harmful, actually, to believe that God, like God, right, (laughs) supernatural, mysterious, ways are infinitely higher than our ways, capable of doing whatever he wants whenever he pleases. I don't think we lose anything by saying, you know what, I'm going to choose to believe that God is able to supernaturally do something that has implications that can shift and alter the reality of things that are right in front of me. I.e., I E I don't think you lose anything in believing that when you approach the elements, the cup and the bread, you, I don't think you lose anything to believe that Jesus is present in that in a real and supernatural and mysterious way. But conversely, I think it is harmful to undervalue it and to minimize the spiritual reality that does take place. If if you go back and you look at the early church teaching and the early church traditions around this, if you go back and study the words of Paul and the words of Christ and so many others, I do think it's harmful To look at those and go, yeah, but nah, that's not what that meant. Or, or yeah, but this is only just a symbol, or this is, I think it is harmful. I think it, I think it can cast it to the side. I think we can push it around. I think that we miss out on a powerful moment and a powerful experience in the presence of Jesus. And so today, all I am making a case for is simply to say, God, you are God, you are supernatural. You are God of the natural and the supernatural. You are God of things seen and unseen, and you are able to do things that I cannot comprehend. In my physical mind, you are able to do things through matter that I can't see in ways that I don't know. You are able to, to change things and shift things beyond my comprehension. And so just giving God back his right to do those things and to operate in ways that we can't nail down and we can't always wrap our mind around where we just have to say, you know what? I'm okay with believing that he's doing something that I can't explain. Man, I I, I honestly feel like we need to get to that place again. It restores our wonder. It, ex- it, it, it restores the beauty in it. And it, It gives us permission to put our faith in a God who operates beyond our comprehension but always comes through for us and is always able to do more than we can ask or imagine. And so let me just give that back to you today. Next time you approach the elements, the communion table, I want to challenge you to heighten your value around it, heighten the way that you see it. Give God the benefit of the doubt. Give Jesus the benefit of the doubt that he wants to show up and meet you there in a different way, in a special way, in a beautiful way. And I pray that as you take communion and you spend that time in the presence of Jesus, that you would literally feel him pulling you further up and further in to the reality of who he is and how much he loves you let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. And thank you that through these traditions, through these sacraments or sacred practices, Jesus, you communicate and convey to us these deeper realities that Lord, if we believed them, they would shift and change and transform us as people in our daily lives. And even more than that, they would change our churches and so, Lord, would you help us to trust? Would you help us to believe? And Jesus, would you show yourself to us? Would you restore some of our wonder, some of our awe in you? Jesus, would you help us to win our need for definitions and answers for everything and clear-cut parameters for everything to where we can almost box you in and call your next shots and say what you can and can't do, Jesus, would you just help us to quiet those voices in our mind and say, man, it's not about that. It's about drawing closer to you, to knowing you more, but not for the sake of nailing you down, but Jesus, further up and further into you so that way you might transform us and use us to transform the world around us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name. We pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Santos Church podcast. If you'd like more information, you can check us out online at santoschurch.org or connect with us on social media. On Instagram, it's at Santos Detroit and Facebook is facebook.com slash Santos Church Detroit. We'll catch you next time.